Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I want to talk to you about altars and offerings. Uh, we're not going to do a deep dive. I just want to give you a picture and a principle that's going to help you as you build your relationship with the living God and even as we're talking about trying to draw near. And what I want to do, we're going to do a real complex Bible move here. We're going to look up three passages at once. Can you handle it? Now, if you're old school like me and you got a real Bible, you got to, you got to flip, put a, put a finger in that page, and then flip and find, anybody know that move? you got to kind of do like multiple finger placeholders. You can do that or you can just use your phone. Whatever you want to do, or you can just follow on the screen. But I want to look at three passages of Scripture. They're all highlighting the principle that I feel like the Lord wants to underscore today. And then we're going to just jump into a couple quick principles and then a time of uh, testifying to the goodness of God over the last year. The three passages of Scripture are 1 Kings chapter 18. You can turn there. You can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, and you can turn to Acts chapter 2. 1 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 5, and Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read them, and then we are going to just jump into a principle. So get these pictures in your mind, and then uh, we're going to look at it. So 1 Kings 18, this is the famous story of Elijah on the top of Mount Carmel. Remember this story, those of you? For those of you who don't, uh, the nation of Israel had fallen away, and God asked Elijah the prophet to go and confront the idolatry, the prophets of Baal, and to call the nation of Israel back to God. And this is how the story went. At the time of the sacrifice, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your, say it, at your command. You asked me to do it, here I am. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So we see this amazing encounter. The power and presence of God came down in the form of fire and lit up and licked up the water and burnt up the offering. Let's move over to Second Chronicles. A similar thing happens here. Different setting, different players, but same God and same principle at work. This is the story of when Solomon had built the temple, and after painstaking efforts and instruction following and lavish investment, the day had come to consecrate the temple, and this is how the story goes. The priests withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Haman, Jejuthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. And accompanied by the trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, his love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So again... Starting to see similar things happen here, a pattern. People offering sacrifices on an altar in the presence of God coming 
in a manifest way. And then if you turn one page over, go to chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles, Solomon prays. And then look what happens after he prays in chapter 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. Have you ever been in a room where it felt like the glory of the Lord settled in such a way that you could hardly stand up? That's what happens when he moves just even the tiniest bit in power. Let's look at the final text, Acts chapter 2. Again, different setting, different players, different scenario, same God, same principle at work. When the day of Pentecost came, now remember, Jesus told the disciples, go wait in Jerusalem and don't move a muscle until my, the, the, the promise of my Father comes. And then it tells us on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. There's that fire again that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, instead of on the sacrifice or on the altar, it was resting on the people. And instead of 120 priests blowing trumpets, now you have 120 of the first church being filled with the voice of the Lord. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Are you seeing a pattern? Yes? No? Want to read them again? No, we got it, we got it. Yeah, there's a pattern here at work about what is at play for you and I when it comes to the question of the presence of God moving toward us and even resting upon us. Here's what I have learned, that we actually play a part in God's ability to rest upon us. Has anybody discovered that yet? That sometimes, no matter how bad I want more of God, there might be things in my life that are actually limiting or inhibiting the presence of God for landing. But on the inverse, there are things that we can do, and I want to talk about this for the next few weeks, things that we can do that actually open up a runway for God to touch down on our lives and touch us in a profound way. Uh, I was thinking actually recently about a, a nightmare trip that my wife and I took across the Atlantic Ocean over a year ago. We were coming back from Europe and uh, we were flying and we were about over northern Labrador. We've been flying for several hours at this point, feeling like I can't wait to get to Montreal, get our connection, and we'll get right back to St. John. Uh, no. Didn't work out that way. Air Canada, anyone? Nope. Um, delete that. We don't get sued. Um, so we're over northern Labrador, and we feel all of a sudden the, the, the pilot, like, hit the brakes. I don't you hate that feeling in the air when they, like, hit the brakes or they feel like they're going to fall out of the sky? And does this hard bank left, and the captain comes on and says, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we, we have a medical emergency. We're going to have to have a medical uh, emergency landing in Moncton. Bear with us. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously, if it was me having that emergency, I would want them to do the same thing. So we flew to Moncton and touched down, and there we sat for the next four hours on the plane. They got the guy off, which was great, but then a kid behind us barfed, and they decided we can't take off with barf in the back, so everyone remain calm and stay in your seat. And you can't get off the plane because it's an international flight, so you're just going to have to sit here while, while service master comes in and cleans up this mess. 
So that happened, and then they realized, oh, wait, now we're waiting on having the right personnel to take off because this is a bigger plane than the Moncton Airport can handle, so bear with us another hour. So four hours later, we get in PTSD even talking about it, Mel. Four hours later, we take off and we head back to Montreal, and we land and we run and we just make our connection. Actually, I ran and made our connection and told them to wait for my wife. She's about 100 yards behind me, right? That was the one time I could leave her in the dust. She's like, you go, go. Like, we're not going to make it. And we finally get on, and we get on the plane, and we're like, we made it. We're going home. No. No, we're not. Plane takes off, and the captain comes on. This is your captain speaking, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to try to land in St. John, but due to immense fog, uh, we might not be able to. So what we're going to do, we're going to fly clear to St. John, and we're going to just circle around and hope that the fog lifts. But if it doesn't lift before we run out of gas, we're going to have to come back to Montreal. So he's like, we're giving it a shot. It's like one in the morning, y'all. Like, we are not having it at this point. Fly clear to St. John, and boy, don't we start to circle and circle and circle. Uh, I may or may not have been texting my father-in-law who could hear the plane circling above our house for an hour. I'm not one of those people that turned his phone on before you're supposed to. Sorry, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Anyway, we flew back to Montreal. Uh, they lost our luggage couldn't find a rental car. It was one of those trips. Anyhow, my point is not to just have this cathartic therapy session where I just sort of vent my frustrations with Air Canada, uh, but what my point is was no matter how bad we wanted to land that plane in St. John, there was stuff prohibiting it from touching down. And in our lives, as it pertains to walking with God, there are things that God wants to do, and there are things that we may even want him to do, but oftentimes there's stuff that just inhibits his ability or prohibits his ability to be able to touch down in our lives. There's stuff clearing, there's stuff complicating the runway, and oftentimes, I think, the Spirit of God is hovering and circling the landing over our lives, waiting for us to clear a path. And I want to just tell you about the principle today as we're talking about nearness month and we're talking about how do we draw nearer to God I just want to put this principle of creating altars and offering sacrifices as a means to create space that draws the power and presence of God in our lives in greater measure here's the big idea I want to share with you it's this there are things that we can do that either invite or inhibit the presence of God from touching our lives. There's stuff that we can do that either opens up space for God to come, and there's stuff that we can do that just blocks the runway from God touching down. So the question we need to answer, and we're going to kind of look at these, these things that God has given us, directions he's given us that actually enable his presence to come. We're going to look at a few different things over the next few weeks, but here's what we're trying to answer. What can I do to invite the presence, power, and pleasure of God in my life in increased measure? And today, I just want to tell you that one of the primary ways that God invades our life is through spaces we call altars and investments or gifts we give him called offerings, sacrifices. I want to talk to you about altars and offerings. This is why we looked at those three texts. Here's the principle I want you. This is a teaching sermon, so sit back and take notes and relax. This is stuff I want you to apply to your life. 
Here's the principle. God is drawn to places or people of worship. And those who walk closest to God have learned to build altars and bring sacrifices. Quite simply, God is drawn to places or people like consecrated spaces of worship. And those of us who walk closest to God have learned to build altars in our lives and bring sacrifices. This is consistent all the way through Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. This was consistent before the law of Moses was given. You see altars and offerings being given right at the beginning of the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 4, and you'll see Cain and Abel, the whole issue, uh, the whole downfall of humanity. After Adam and Eve fell, you see Cain killed Abel over what? Over the difference between a man who knew how to give an offering, Abel, and a man who held back, Cain. But you see all through the Old Testament, you see these, these heroes of the faith understand the principle of altars and offerings. You see it with Noah. You see it with Abraham. You see it with Moses, Joshua. It was David. You saw David say, I will not offer God that which costs me nothing. You saw it with Solomon, Elijah, and you see it in the New Testament. Now, Jesus changed how we do offerings. And I don't have time to dive deep today into like the rich meaning of what a sacrificial offering and the sacrificial system is, but Jesus changed it. No longer do we have to go to the priest and offer a goat or a lamb or a grain offering. Jesus was the one sacrifice once and for all. Anybody thankful for that today? That today you didn't have to come to church and bring a goat and offer that as, as means of, of atonement for your sin. Jesus atoned for your sin by his own blood forever and ever and ever. Amen. He changed it, but the principle doesn't change. Even though the sacrifice looks different, and we don't need to sacrifice goats and sheep and doves, we now sacrifice differently. The principle is the same, that God is a God who's drawn, who draws near to consecrated spaces and faith-filled offerings. That hasn't changed. And this is what we see in our text that we just read about. God is still encountered at the altar, at the place of worship. Now, we've called maybe the front of the church the altar at times, and that's appropriate. But we live now in a time, like it says in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit of God rested on the person. The person, the follower of Jesus, is actually the altar. Your, the altar is worked out in your life. And the sacrifice is what we give. Look at how Paul said it to the Romans. This, this might put it in a little bit better context. Paul said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what's he talking about? He's saying the altars and the offerings that we give are different than what happened in the Old Testament. What we do is we build altars of worship by not conforming to the patterns of this world. Amen? That, that our, lifestyle, our lifestyles are set apart different. Are you with me? Can you handle a teaching on a Sunday? We're doing a little bit deeper today. Our lives are, are, are altars. And we don't conform to the pattern of this world. We set ourselves apart in a different way. And the offering is our lifestyle. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul is getting at. So I want to give you three 
just quick ways that we build altars and offer sacrifices to God. And if you, if you want to draw the presence of God, like we're talking about draw near to God, and he will draw near to you, yeah. Well, here's how you do it. Here's some of the ways you do it through offerings and altars, through altars and sacrifices. So a few ideas I want to give you, and this is just for you, and those of you who are hungry, you're going to use it. Those of you who aren't, you're just going to ignore it, and you're going to come back next week. Number one, God's presence is drawn to us when we bring him our obedience and trust. One of the ways, or even I would say probably the way we build altars in our lives, our altars are ultimately built in this place, obedience and trust. We don't form altars in our backyard. We don't get a bunch of cinder blocks and build it up and, and create. That's not what the scripture is getting at. The way that you and I, as followers of Jesus, our great high priest, build altars now is through obedience and trust. And you see this principle played out in the Scripture, even in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What did, what did God ask uh, the church to do in Acts 2? Jesus said to them, before the, the Holy Spirit fell, what did he say? He said, go and wait. So what did they do? They went and waited. For 10 days, the early church waited. That's a long church service, y'all. 10 days, they just stayed and waited, and then the Holy Spirit fell. But it was out of that, the, the altar was built on obedience, just doing what God said. We see that in 2 Chronicles 2, when, when the, the fire of God fell on the temple. That was preceded by painstaking obedience. Like read, go back in 2 Chronicles, you can read the, God's design for the temple. Like follow these designs, do what I say. And they did it to the letter, and the fire of God fell. You see it in the story of Elijah. Elijah goes up. One of my favorite parts of that story is that Elijah actually had to rebuild the old altars that the prophets of Baal had torn down. That tells us something. That, that obedience and honoring what God has said and instructed matters. It might sound obvious, but you need your soul to hear it because your, your, your heart lies to you a lot. Let your heart hear it. Us doing what God tells us to do is really important in the grand scheme of having a relationship with God. That sounds really obvious, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. I love how Pastor Adam said in his sermon last week, this whole following Jesus thing is challenging, but it's not complicated. It's not complicated. And the primary way we see the power and presence of God touch our lives is just by being people who strive in a fear of God, I can't earn my salvation type of way, strive to be obedient. We, we, in, we endeavor to do what he says. The reality is a lot of us don't experience the more of God that he promises because we aren't building any places, any altars of obedience. We ignore his word and wonder why he doesn't deliver on his promises. I'm stepping on my own toes too here, y'all. Don't look at me like that. We ignore what he asked us to do, and then we wonder why he's not doing what he said he'd do. It's because we haven't created spaces, altars of obedience. If we want God to draw near to us, and if we want to experience him, 
there are some efforts and some lines and some altars we need to create, some lines we need to draw in our lives. You know, I think about this all the time as, I, as I'm kind of, I'm on the journey. I'm not, I'm not want to stand up here like I'm perfect. But I think about people who have gone before me that have demonstrated the gift of building altars and what comes with that. And I think about my grandmother, Ingersoll. Uh, she passed away a handful of years ago now. And the longer, the more far, like the further removed I get from being with her, the more I look back in hindsight and see what a godly woman she was. And specifically, there, it just, she wasn't like an impressive person. She didn't get up and preach big sermons or any of that. She just had this, this life of faithful, behind-the-scenes obedience and devotion to God. There were things that she always did. She always read her Bible. She always prayed. She always went to church. She always gave her tithe. There were things that she just drawn lines and said, I will always do these things. And there were lines she drew that said that she would not cross. Believe me, as grandkids, we figured that out many times. I'll never forget the time. Me and my cousin Brad and Lindsay and Jamie, all my cousins were in my grandmother's cottage at Beulah Camp. And we put in Shallow Howl, that old Jack Black movie. You remember that one? We were like, I was probably like 18, I don't know, I was like a like young, little older teenager. And we're in there watching, and my grandmother, doesn't she walk in at the one racy scene in the whole thing? And she comes over, and she stands in front of that TV, and she says, not in my house, you little turds. You get out of here. She's like, we will not watch that in here. And I'm like, I remember Lindsay, she's like, Grammy, you don't get it. It's not a bad movie. It's just this one scene. Just let it. She's like, I won't let it go. You get out of here. You know, like it was, I'll never forget that though. And we were so mad. Like it was embarrassing because we had a bunch of friends over and my grandmother just like chased us out with a broom basically. But I look back on that and I'm like, my grandmother had decided long before that moment there are things that just will not happen in my home. And there's stuff I just will not let go in these eyes and there's things that I just will not let go in these ears. And I look back and I'm like, man, if I, I want to know Jesus like my grandmother knew and knows Jesus now, but I want to know, know him like that. And I feel the whisper of the Spirit saying, you want that relationship, but are you willing to do the same things that she did to know me that way? Oh, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? It does, but that's the reality. This idea of obedience. Now, some of you are like, well, isn't that legalism? Isn't that legalism? No, it's not legalism. Legalism is trying to earn something or trying to even like get God in your debt. When I look back on my grandmother, she was very devoted about things, but it was ultimately out of an effort to steward a relationship with God. It's like, I don't want to grieve God. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to disobey what he's asked me to do. When we are obedient and we do what God has asked us, it invites him in. It's the same for us as parents, is it not? Like, like how many of us as moms and dads, you know this to be true. If your kids constantly defy you and constantly ignore what you ask them and are acting like brats, does that draw you close to them? No. When they are obedient, when they are honoring, when they are submissive, okay, mom, I don't agree with it, but I will. That causes us to want to reward them, doesn't it? Amen? Am I talking to myself up here? Yeah, it, it does. And it's the same with God. If we will just learn 
to relate to him as a child to a father, or even as an employee, like this is more crass, but the Bible also talks about like the master and the servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've obeyed me. You've honored what I've asked. Obedience is a key, y'all. Can I just say it? And I think maybe we're a little too flippant at times with areas of disobedience. We maybe give ourselves a pass on things where God's like, I already told you what to do. Go do it. Stop wrestling with stuff you know you're not supposed to wrestle with. Let it go and walk away. Amen? You're like, yes, amen. That's like a few questions you need to ask. Is it possible that God is circling the runway in my life because of an area of disobedience? Is there some area that God's like, no, I'm waiting for you to clear the fog in that area and I'll touch down? Uh, is there an altar I need to build or rebuild? Are there things that you've just, you need to like establish? One of the things I think is a real important thing for those of you, and we got many, I'm going to talk about this in just like five minutes. For those of you who are new in your faith, and there is a sudden and beautiful rush of love and grace in your spirit for God, that is the time to draw lines. That's the high watermark in your life. The things that you are naturally doing with God, draw that line. The things that you naturally are saying, I don't need that anymore, draw that line. Because there will come a time where God tests you. Will you be obedient even though you don't feel like it? Any saints know what I'm talking about? There will come a time where that, that happens and you need to hold the line. That's the test. And for some of you, maybe you've lost it and you've let go on some things that you used to always do. This is one of the ways back when you read the letter to the church of Laodicea, Jesus says, hey, you've lost your first love. Go back and do the things you did at first. Recover some of the things that were lost. Is there a specific area in my life that I've said no to God in which I need to repent? Is there an area? If I dare you to pray that prayer. He'll show you. And, if he will, and he'll give you the grace even to be obedient. And when you do, there will be a rush of his presence drawing closer to your life. Listen, I have learned this. Every time I say no, it brings a layer of separation between me and God. Anybody know that to be true? Every time I disobey him or say no thanks, it brings a layer of division between me and him. But every yes I give him tears that wall of disobedience down and it builds a new altar for him to rest upon. Does that make sense? Can we move on? Are your toes okay? All right. Second thing, I'm, I'm going to be moving on here into a time of thanks and praise in just a second. But I wanted to give you these principles. Because if you're serious about drawing near to God, this is the stuff you're going to need. Second thing, God's presence is drawn to us when we bring him our generosity and faith. This is where the idea of sacrifice comes in. An altar is just a designated space. And sometimes we have places in our lives where we've built altars, but until you put something on it, until there's a sacrifice made, the glory of God doesn't touch it the same way. Does that make sense? Like when, you, when we read our, first, our three passages of Scripture, you saw Elijah. He sacrificed a bull. He poured out water. That's, a, that, that's an unbelievable sacrifice if you realize that that was in a drought. That might have been the last bull in all of Israel. And he sacrificed it in faith to God, and God consumed it. You saw in Solomon's temple, the, they, they lost count of how many sacrifices they made, and God came in a powerful and profound way. And you see it in Acts chapter 2. No animals were killed, 
But you saw a great sacrifice. Ten days they sat there and waited and prayed and, and believed and trusted and waited and prayed and praised and believed and trusted. Ten days. That's a huge offering to God, isn't it? You know what I've found to be true? Little offerings, little blessing. Big offerings, God blesses in big ways. God will always slightly exceed what you give. Give and it will be given to you. Turn your phone off and you shall receive great blessings. We have had cell phones for 20 years, y'all. There is a button on the side. You know what? You can even pre-program it to silent between 9 and 12 a.m. on Sundays. You only have to remember it. Sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Really quick. What, what can you give a God who doesn't need anything? What can you give? What am I talking about offerings here? Now, there are, there are means to which we give him things, like we use our time, our talent, our treasure, correct? Like we give, we give money to the church, we give time, we give our abilities to God, yes. But he doesn't need your help. He's not impressed with your talent. Anybody know that to be true? He certainly doesn't need your money. He doesn't, and he's outside of time. So when you give him time, it's not like, oh, good, I needed a little more time. He's eternal and infinite. So what is it we're actually giving him? Trust, love, surrender, obedience. That's the sacrifice. It's just time, talent, and treasure are the three areas that we guard the closest. Amen? Like your time, your talent, and your treasure are the three areas that, that's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That's why for some of you, it's very hard to give your time because your time is unbelievably valuable. So it costs you a lot to carve out time. The busier you are and the more demand there is on your time, the more of a sacrifice it is to say, God, I'm, I'm going to give you this hour. I'm going to give you an hour. For some of you, that is an, your, your hourly pay rate is unbelievable. And guys like me can't even understand it. But the, the offering that that is to God when you give him an hour, that's what pleases him. Or for some of you, it's really hard to give money because you don't have a lot of it to begin with. And that's the test. Where you say, God, I, I, I wish I had more money because I don't feel a lot of peace right now about my bills and all the things coming at me. But you tell me to give to you first and everything will be added to me. So I'm going to slide this in your way and I'm going I'm to release control and say, you're my provider. I'm giving this to you. That's an offering of trust and lordship. Do you understand? God doesn't want your money. He wants your trust, and he wants you to break the back of mammon. To break, that's why, that's why we tithe. It puts God on the throne of our lives. It breaks the back of that subtle deception inside of us, and it's inside all of us. None of us think we're greedy. Greed is the only sin that nobody thinks they're struggling with. That's why Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. You, you won't even notice when you're greedy. Time, talent, and treasure we offer to God. Some of you, let me say it like this in love, some of you don't get much of God because you don't give much to him. That's just, that's just the facts. I have seen God loves when I offer him something, when I give him my time, when I give him my efforts. And you know what I've also seen? Especially when I don't feel like it. I think about that living sacrifice. I'm just going to assume you're all listening really close right now. When Paul talked about a living sacrifice, have you ever, and I'm not trying to get gross, so just limit how far you visualize this, but they would bring a live animal 
and put that thing on the altar and sacrifice it. Do you think, other than Jesus, do you think anybody, went, any animal went to the altar like willingly and happily? No, they were squirming and kicking and screaming. And that's what it looks like oftentimes when we offer our body as a living sacrifice. I think sometimes the most fragrant thing I give to God is a yes when I'm struggling to do it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think that's so pleasing to God when we'll fight through our feelings, we'll fight through our fears, we'll fight through those things that are telling us not to do it, and we push through and we say, I'm going to give this to you anyway. When we offer God a sacrifice, he consumes it. There are many believers who never experience much of God because they refuse to give him anything in any meaningful way. It, it, it never is sacrificial. It never costs you anything. And so it limits how far God comes in to your life. God is drawn when we offer ourselves. This is why David said, I will not offer God's that which costs me nothing. Someone offered to pay for his offerings. And he's like, I'm not doing that. I want to offer God something that costs me something. Because when I give, he gives himself to me. And this is the principle. Last thing you can do. So, build altars of obedience. Give sacrificially. This is like, I did not come to get, a, to get this lecture, Pastor Brent. No, this, this is life, man, what I'm giving you right now. This, this is keys to life in the kingdom. Can I get an amen from a saint that knows? This really is. This is, this is like walking out your faith. Number three, and you can do this at any time, is... Number three, God's presence is drawn when we bring him our thanks and praise. Do you know what just draws the presence of God? Worship on our lips. Like just speaking and thanking God, being grateful. How many of you know as parents, again, I'm way more likely to want to hang out or even bless my kids when they are grateful and not entitled can I get an amen from a mom and dad? Do we like spoiled little entitled brats? No, kids. So here, let me, tell you, let me do your parents a favor. When you're being like that, your parents hardly like you. <laughs> they love you, but when you, are, when you are grateful and thankful, they like you. <laughs> and they'll always love you, but they don't always like you. That's, that's a fact. I, I, I like you too, honey. I like you all the time, all the time. It's other, we're talking about other parents. <laughs> Not me. Not me. It's thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. At all three of those things we looked at earlier, what happened? They gave thanks and they praised God and the fire of God came. So one of the best things you can do, and again, the principle is the same, especially at times you don't feel it. When we will get over how we feel and just start giving God thanks, uh, even times where it feels like there's not enough, when we start giving God thanks for what we already do have, the presence of God comes. Even times where it feels very dark and it seems like God is far off, when we start giving God praise, the presence of God comes. You think about Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They're in a dark dungeon and they start praising God and God comes right in to that moment. And I have seen that hundreds and hundreds of times where the people of God start praising and the presence and glory of God presses in. We just felt it in this room 20 minutes ago. Amen? 
God loves when his people will open their mouths and give praise, especially when you're not comfortable with it. That's why I, the, the XY Men's Conference, there was a glory there because we didn't have women in the room to carry us. Yeah, dudes, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's mostly the ladies that will sing out because y'all aren't good singers anyway for the most part. But man, when we just got over ourselves and we started lifting our voices anyway and all that hot mess of sound, I'll tell you what, it might not have sounded beautiful audibly, but what it sounded like to God, the presence of God just touches down. And if you and I can learn, like if it's dark in your home, like Melanie and I just did that last week, like we just, there was just stuff going on and we're like, we need to just crank up the worship music. There's something in the atmosphere we need to, like there's fog in the atmosphere of our home and so we need to just wave this crap out so God can touch down. And so like praise music does that. Learning to praise God just in your own voice. Like, just God, thank you. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you that you're my provider. What would happen to you if you're having panic over your finances if instead of looking forward and obsessing about things you can't control, you look back and just remind yourself of the faithfulness of God? It just changes the atmosphere. So I want to take the last 10 minutes I have, and I want to just, I want to give God thanks for some of the stuff he's doing in our midst as a church. Can you do that with me? And I'm just going to give God thanks. And we're going to fly through a couple things that I think it's worth us celebrating together. Usually, uh, this time of year, we put together a, a year-end report. And that's going to be uh, available. The full report's going to be available online. You can get it on our website. And we'll put it out in the newsletters. You can get it. It's an ultra-macro report that does not give justice to the unimaginable amount of good things that God is doing in our church. But I just wanted to give us a snapshot as a whole church to see the faithfulness and goodness of God happening right now. So we, we put together this report. You can find it online uh, on our website. But I'm just going to do a quick flyover. Now, just one thing I think it's important to do together, and that is this. It's easy to kind of get in our own lane, whether we're in Halifax or St. Stephen, and we forget that we're part of something much bigger. It's a challenge to be one church in multiple locations. There's unique challenges that come with that, but there is a unique gift that comes as well. And God is doing something incredible at all of our locations. Here at the Valley, we're seeing incredible growth. And we're seeing not just growth in numbers, but we're seeing growth in depth in what God's doing. And we're seeing that not just at the Valley. We're seeing it all across our church. All of our campus pastors, I'd love for you to hear more from them at some point. But Pastor Pete talked about St. Stephen. We launched just this year. It's not even a year old, y'all. And God has done amazing things. It somewhat feels like they've always been here, doesn't it? And we just launched this, like, glory to God. Thank you, God, for providing for us to be able to do it. Thank you, God, for providing Pete and Shauna Stubbs and the whole team down there and what you're doing. And Pete just reported to us this week. He said, Pete, give me a, give me a tweet. Give me a tweet, Pete. And he said, God has been exceeding anything we could have asked, thought, or imagined in Charlotte County. We are seeing lives restored, a true heart of worship, unity in the regional church, and the dark cloud that has been hanging over our region be increasingly displaced by the light. Thank you, Lord. Come on, somebody. Thank you, Lord. I'm praising God, too. You know, it says in Galatians, it says, do not grow weary in doing what is good, for at just the right time you will reap a harvest. Well, Johnny and Lisa have been grinding it out since 2020. They moved over there like a week before the stinking pandemic. Here's a pro tip. 
Or at least, like, be warned, it's going to be hard to launch a church during a pandemic. And yet they did. And God has been doing amazing things as of late there. Johnny said over the last five months, we've doubled in size in five months. Praise God. We've seen miraculous healing and breakthrough by the power of God. We see people come into faith, a deepened sense of God's presence, and have been able to baptize nine people just in the past several months. Jesus is on the move. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Come on. We love you, Charlottetown. Pastor Seth, so many good things are happening in Halifax. Pastor Seth reported this, though. There's a spiritual hunger that's happening. Sorry, that, that slide, I messed that up. It's hard to read, but we've tripled the number of people coming together in united and concerted prayer on a weekly basis this past year. We've seen God move in kindness and mercy, breaking addiction, redeeming circumstances, and bringing about things that we just could not do in our own power. Glory to God. Amen. We're seeing amazing things, seeing growth and momentum. And then even here in the west side of St. John, uh, you might not know this, but West St. John, King's Church West St. John, would be one of the larger churches in all of Atlantic Canada at this point. Uh, it is growing in number every single week. Adam said this, God is on the move in our West St. John location. We've seen growth and expansion in so many ways, from weekend growth to prayer and prophetic ministries to serving the hungry to celebrate. That's more than a tweet, Adam. To celebrate recovery and a new youth ministry, God is doing so much, and I know it's just the beginning. I am so thankful for Pastor Adam and the whole team there and what God is doing. If you're ever, if you're ever in the St. John area, I can't recommend going and just going on a Sunday. The worship in that environment is just incredible to be in. God is doing something special. But a snapshot of the whole thing, like, okay, where, how does this work for the whole church? Well, uh, every week we see about 2,400 people uh, come out and be part of a service in all of our locations. Uh, we see, we've seen, oh my goodness, 173 people got baptized this past year. Come on, somebody. Give God thanks for that. Praise you, Lord. 229 people decided to follow Jesus. A huge portion of them uh, are due not just to cyber recovery, but especially Alpha. We've run Alpha several times at every location, and it continues to produce incredible fruit. Of course, for all you like uh, Gen Zers and Millennials who like the TikTok, here's some stats for you. Uh, we have uh, almost 3,000 YouTube subscribers, 9,000 Facebook subscribers, 2,500 on the gram, and then uh, 13,000 TikTok followers. I don't even have TikTok. <laughs> Apparently a couple videos went like, went like pretty viral and we gained a lot of followers. They just, I did one of these things. No, I didn't. I didn't. And I won't. I never will. I never will. I just did it, didn't I? I feel like they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna snap that out and it's going to be on TikTok next week. Get that, get, no, no to TikTok. I don't do TikTok. I'm not, never, never. <laughs> but God is doing awesome things. Not only that, though, we, we don't just want to measure the macro stuff. We want to measure, like, what, okay, not every crowd is healthy. Amen? I've been in stadiums that weren't healthy. You can draw a crowd and not be healthy. And we have really changed a lot of our metrics over the last few years of what we're really looking for is by way of health. And a big part of it is just like who's connecting into our community and who's being part of this and taking ownership. 
And we've had over 1,100 people join like learning environments and discipleship environments over the past year. We've had 933 volunteer positions filled over our whole church family. How cool is that? That's a lot of different people volunteering. Talk about an offering. We've got a lot of people giving an offering of time and talent every single week. We have over 1,400 people connected through regular gatherings like home church and worship nights and King's Classic, like these, these community groups we have. And over 400 people doing the Bible reading plan. How cool is that? That's amazing, and I'm thankful for it. We're also, we, we launched this past year. We've, there's been so much God has done this past year. It's just crazy. Uh, we launched King's Academy. And particularly within King's Academy, not only are we doing discipleship environments, but we have a bunch of stuff uh, like ministry apprenticeship program where we're training up leaders. We're, we're graduating our first class of them this week. Uh, let's just give some honor to our MAP students. We've got all kinds of incredible things. One real quick thing, too. I don't know if everybody's heard this or not. I don't know, I don't know if we've been clear or not. Uh, Professor Mike McNeil is joining our team in July full-time uh, to run the King's Academy. And I'm really excited about that. So. And then uh, I'm almost done. And we're going we're gonna to just, i got a testimony coming up and we're going to be done. But uh, we've also done, just expanded our generosity this year in incredible ways. Food service is a huge thing that we do as a church, giving away food to hungry people. Uh, we've just done a ton of that. You'll see all of this in the annual report. It's just beautiful, beautiful stuff of us being the church. Love Atlantic was a huge success this year. We expanded our Love Week efforts, and we said, hey, let's get the regional church involved. And we are able to get 134 different churches participating in that initiative last fall. And... Uh, they gave away altogether about $445,000. And so, but King's Church, I am proud of you. And I'm just going to say this as a Jesus proud kind of way, not in a boasting that we're better or anything, but I'm proud that our church carried so much weight for Love Atlantic and demonstrated to the region what generosity can look like in one week. And so, yeah, that's incredible. You can see all this stuff on the report. We'll send it out to you. Uh, this has been our highest year of giving ever. Uh, just more people are contributing and doing tith are tithing or giving uh, every single week. Uh, this past year, our offerings were around $3.4 million uh, across our whole church. We have people, not just at every location that give every week, we've got people in Ontario that give, people in Manitoba, people in British Columbia that are part of our online community, and they're truly invested in what we're doing. It's quite incredible. But I'm just so thankful for the generosity here, and, and this is important too. Uh, $553,000 just went right back out the door to help lift up and support other ministries all around the world. And so we practice more than a tithe as a church, which is really important. Uh, huge praise and glory to God. How many of you know God is a chain breaker? And we have seen him doing it this year. Uh, through First, I want to mention Freedom Prayer and prophetic ministries. God has been doing incredible things through that, through that arena. Uh, Pastor Dan Lamus and Pastor Anthony Moore and the ministries they've been doing have been absolutely incredible. And we're believing God's going to ramp that up even more in the coming days. We also have seen uh, just incredible things continue through Celebrate Recovery. I just know that God blesses our church because we, we give in a sacrificial way through something called Celebrate Recovery. It's a high-cost ministry. It costs volunteers and time and money and grace and all of it, and yet God continues to bless us because of it. 
Uh, we actually are now, as a ministry, Adam and Julie are helping churches all around Atlantic Canada get Celebrate Recovery up and running. Just yesterday here at the Valley, we had leaders from all around the region come in and find out how they can launch Celebrate Recoveries in their own context. One last thing I want to highlight. I want to invite uh, Carrie and a couple of our teens to come up. We have, how many of you remember, back in uh, the winter, the eight weeks leading into Easter, we did uh, a prayer initiative for our kids. Remember, we, we prayed eight weeks. Come on right over here, guys. You can just stand in front of the TV. That's okay. Uh, do you have a microphone? Awesome. Uh, we prayed eight weeks for our kids by name, over a 1,000 kids for eight weeks. And uh, ah, I'm going to cry. Stop it. Stop. Stop. Um, God is answering so many of those prayers, y'all. And we are seeing a depth, not just in our, our youth, our kids' ministry, what God is teaching and showing our kids I've seen a change in my, like my own kids, even my youngest son, Alex, who's still in kids' ministry and not in youth. I mean, that kid's heart is just growing in his love for God. I can't get him to stop praying at night. Like, I'm like, boy, wrap it up. Like, he, it's unbelievable. I'm going to record him one of these times. We don't have time in a sermon. He gets that long-winded thing naturally, maybe. I don't know. But... Uh, <laughs> uh, but then in our youth, man, like the glory of God and what he's doing in our teens is just incredible. And I think instead of me giving you a report, you can look at that online. Uh, some of these teens we've got here were just at one conference and then Alpha Weekend. And just God's doing stuff. Why don't you uh, share what, what God's got going on for you? Yeah, so like we've been talking about, there's been some amazing stuff happening in the lives of our teenagers. Stop. <laughs> Stop it, Gary. It comes easy to me, but... Um, like, not just personal change in their own lives, but just, like, a beautiful kingdom work that I said earlier, but I just really think is, like, kind of leading the way for us as a church. And so I asked some of our teens that, like Pastor Brent said, that were at one conference and then also at Alpha Weekend to just share what God's doing in their lives, um, specifically because of those situations, but also just because of creating spaces for God to move. Mm -hmm. So if you guys would just go and say your name, give your testimony, and then also how old you are. Hi, I'm Chloe. I'm 16. And I had an awesome time at OneCon. It was my first year going. Highly recommend if you didn't go this year. But the worship was insane. <laughs> so loud. Um, but it was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I saw so many of my friends and peers, just people my age, all around me, like worshiping God with no fear, no judgment, like such boldness. Wow. It was insane. And I was just looking around at all of these people that I know and have just met that day, and they were having very real connections with God and being touched very really by the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, that was great for them, but I wasn't really experiencing the same thing that they were. Like I was, I was happy to be there and to participate and to be involved, but it was apparent to me that I wasn't really like experiencing it the same way they were. I wasn't getting the same reaction. And on the last day of OneCon, when we were worshiping for the last time before we were gonna head home, it was getting towards the end of worship and I was still feeling this way. But just completely out of nowhere, I just got this like overwhelming feeling that there was someone that I absolutely needed to pray for. And I was, I hesitated because like who, what, where, why? Like I don't, I didn't know what to do. And then Carrie came over and prayed for me. And it was so loud, I had to lean in really close to hear what she was saying. But I do remember that she's, the one line that stuck with me was, 
God, help her to say what you want her to say if you've given her a word. So that was my sign. She left me a gross, crying mess. <laughs> but then immediately, like, I had this face, and I knew, oh, my gosh, okay, this is the person. So I did it. Wow. And it was, like, nothing that I've ever experienced before. It was like the presence of God just swept over us like a blanket at the last possible second. It was an incredible reminder to me. The one line that stuck with me the most is, do not doubt what God can do in one second. I am so thankful for OneCon and for all of the people who put their time and effort into it, and I'm so excited for next year. That's awesome, Chloe. Um, I'm Kate, I'm 16, and like Chloe said, like OneCon was an amazing experience. This was also my first year. I went to the one last year, but it wasn't really in person. And um, it was absolutely life-changing for me. I went into OneCon feeling really, really disconnected from God and feeling like I had lost my fire and my passion for Jesus. And so I prayed all week long that I would be able to experience the Holy Spirit and then I would just get my fire back because it really got me through so many hard times and I was going through something and it was just, I needed him to be there. And like every day I would, like the first night I was really, really trying to get something going but nothing was happening. The second day it got a little bit closer but nothing happened. But the third day when Pastor Brent was speaking, it was it was just amazing, like this overwhelming experience just came over my body and it was amazing to feel it. It was this hug that I just didn't want to let go of. I really experienced the Holy Spirit and I just I just felt like I was home and that I could breathe again and it was amazing. But not only was it amazing to see how he was working in my life, it was amazing to see all my peers and all these teens who maybe not have experienced God before just be on their knees and praying that they would experience the Holy Spirit, and they did. And God was working in that room, and it was amazing to see what he was doing. This past week, I felt like I I was living a new life. The Holy Spirit was alive in me this week, and it was just an incredible experience. Awesome, Kate. My name's Josiah Valentine, and I'm 15 years old. And OneCon, it was so powerful seeing everybody's hands raised. And there were so many more people there that gave their, their selves to God. And I thought there were so many people on their knees while Pastor, Pastor Brent was praying. We had three preachers, though, and they all targeted the same outcome in a weird way. They all were talking about how uh, there's one scenario that could be so hard, and everybody's going through it but they showed us a way that we could still praise God through it all. And it touched everybody individually and everybody felt like it was, there was so, it was overwhelming and I couldn't, like, I can't explain it. But then at the end, when we were just about to start singing again, Pastor Brent asked us to go to our knees. And so I never got up until the end of the service, but I stayed on my knees and I repeated this one phrase, God, open my eyes, show me what's next. I didn't know that there was a hole in me that needed to be filled because I consider myself as a regular Christian. Like, I don't think that there's like, anything else that I needed to do, but there is. There's always something you could do. And so I didn't see this until yesterday at Alpha Youth. <laughs> and so uh, there was a video playing, and it was talking about the Holy Spirit and how you need to ask it to come into your life, and it's always there. <laughs> and so basically, 
I realized that there was the hole in me, and that one con opened my eyes to see that. And I asked Mike to pray for me, and that there was just an overwhelming presence of the Lord there. And he showed me my, well, the answers to my visions. He showed me answers to questions that I hadn't even had yet. He showed me stuff that I would never even imagine, but he is there, and now I'm filled with the Holy Spirit just because of yesterday. Yesterday was so much powerful. It was an add-on to one con, and he knew it. And so I, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for stay. We're going to pray. I'm going to dismiss people in a sec, but, you know, the, what God is doing in our teens is just so glorious. You know, this, this picture shows, you know, glory when it's a, a room of thousands of kids and the presence of God landing. Uh, but they're, they're experiencing God uh, in glorious ways, even in small contexts. Like there's just a depth of hunger uh, in our teens. We've been praying for it. We've been saying, God, you're going to do something in this generation. And we're seeing it happen. And I'm thanking God for it. And I'm believing that this is just the first fruit. These are just the Christian kids getting caught on fire. You wait till that starts pouring over into the kids whose families don't know Jesus. Uh, it's happening. So I invite you to stand to your feet. I'm just going to... We're just going to pray. We're just going to thank God for what he's doing in this season. And then we'll be dismissed. So let's just, let's just pray and give God thanks. Oh, Jesus, we just thank you. Father, you're so good. You're faithful in every generation. We just give you thanks and praise today. From Halifax, we're praising you. From St. Stephen, we're praising you. From Charlottetown, we're praising you. West St. John, here at the Valley, our, our friends online, we just say, God, you're worthy and you're above it all, Lord. You are the God of these cities that we rest in. We give you glory and honor and we say, would, would you have dominion in this nation from sea to sea? We worship you and we praise you and we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, God. We give you glory. And we say, God, just with, with fear and trepidation but great hunger, God, we want more. We ask that you would, your presence would increase in our midst, Lord. Would you help us as a ministry and as individuals to build even more spaces and altars? Help us draw the lines that need to be drawn. And God, would you help us learn the, the, the joy of giving to you that we can't outgive you and that you will bless every sacrifice that's made. And so, Father, we thank you for what you've done, what you're doing and what you're going to do. We thank you as individuals. We thank you as families. And we thank you as, uh, as campuses and as a, as a local church. We thank you for what you've done, for what you're doing, and what you're going to do. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.